Here we are good. So we are in Jonah chapter 2. And I'm really excited for today. I've got to say, I, I think I annoyed a few people in the office today when they came in because I just told them how excited I am for today. Because I get to talk about a big fish. A big fish story. And you see, I'm a fisherman. I just love big fish and I love fish stories, right? So I even had talked about, and I'll blame it on the snow, I talked about coming out here this morning in my fishing waders and my vest and having my fishing rod. In fact, I went as far as getting it out in the garage last night. I was digging through all my boxes of garage stuff that I have not unboxed yet from the move, trying to find my stuff so it would be ready. But then this morning I was just too busy snow plowing to care. And then I, I pictured myself walking out here in my fishing waders, and it'd be a great illustration to show you how I like fishing. But then I pictured myself taking them off in front of you and trying to put my boots back on. I just thought, that's not a good picture. Nobody wants to see that. So you can just picture me in fishing waders and a fishing vest if you like. But we are in week two of Jonah. We are Jonah. And I think what you see through this whole series is that we are Jonah because we're always trying to run away from God's plan because it's hard or it's difficult. When what's best for us is to run to God's plan, because it's what leads to life and a future, and not a future of destruction, but a future of hope. So let's start with this. I'm going to get pretty personal with you, really personal. I'm going to share some pictures, and I'm going to share a story. But first, let's get to the pictures. Like I said, I love fishing. I love fish stories, right? So I thought I would start off this series with some pictures of some big fish. Or in my mind, some pictures of some big fish. Maybe you guys have caught some bigger fish. But we got a picture of a big old walleye up there at the top center, a saw guy at the left, some largemouth bass, some smallmouth bass. I love fishing. And there's been days, years, where I would go fishing two, three times a day. Because I would go over the river on the way to the church, so I'd stop by the river for a few minutes. Then at lunchtime, I'd stop by again. And then on the way home from the church at night, I'd stop by again. I mean, why not? I had it down to such a science that I knew if I was not catching fish in 10 minutes, I might as well go home. Because if I was doing good, I could catch 15, 20 fish in 20 minutes. So I had it down. I knew exactly where to go and what to do. But what you'll notice, and I, I'm guessing a few people might already have noticed, I did not put any pictures of any small fish. Those just aren't fun to talk about, right? I mean, you don't get any man points or any points with your fishing buddies when you show these little tiny pictures of little tiny bait fish that you're catching. But I will say, I do have some pictures of those as well. I just avoided those. But I want to tell you a story of my biggest catch ever. The biggest hook ever. And this is a, a typical fisherman's story. There's no picture of it. There's no evidence of it. But the story begins like this. Long ago, in a galaxy far away. Okay, wrong story. Long ago in a land far, far away, a land called Ohio. About 11 hours away, when I was a little tyke, a little kid, probably about seven, eight years old, I was out fishing with my dad, with my family, in our fishing boat. We had this 
I, I loved it. A great boat. It was a 14-foot Sears Super Game Fisher with a 15-horsepower motor on it when I was growing up. Not a huge boat, not a fast boat, but it was our boat. And we, were, we would go out fishing throughout summer. Well, one night, I was about seven, eight years old, we're out fishing on the, on the river, right? Well, we get, we, we get back from the river. It's late at night. It's dark. And we're, we're heading in from the river to the docks. And like any boy, I don't want to stop fishing. I want to keep fishing. So I asked my dad, Dad, when we get to the dock, can I fish off the dock while you're getting the boat on the trailer? I think he might have said no. But like any typical boy, what do I do? I do it anyways, right? So I get on the dock, and I go to cast, and I whip it back, like any typical little boy, I whip it back, cast it out, and immediately I just felt this huge hook. And I start reeling, and I start yelling, Dad, I got one! I got this big fish! Right at that same time, I hear a loud scream from my dad, who's standing beside me, behind me, trying to get the boat ready, and I got the biggest catch ever as I hooked my dad right in the lip. I mean, I had good aim, right? I mean, that's where you're supposed to hook a big old catfish, right? My dad still gives me a hard time and still jokes with me and anybody because he has a scar in his lip there. Um, that, that was the biggest fish I ever caught. But it gets a little more interesting because not only is he now hooked, Nightcrawler dangling. <laughs> but he's hooked, and he can't get the hook out because this was a big old nightcrawler hook with a big old barb, one of those eagle claw hooks with the curve in it. And he could not get the hook out of his lip. So I'm sorry if you're visualizing this and you get queasy. You can walk out and come back in five minutes if you like. But, but it has a purpose. So he starts asking the other guys, at the boat ramp, if, they all, if any of them has a good pair of pliers that they can cut through that hook to cut it off. And just nobody has a good enough pair of pliers to cut that hook. So he ends up having to, to just cut the line, get the worm off. <laughs> and <laughs> we go to get in the van to pull away so that he can just leave the hook in his mouth until he gets to an urgent care, a hospital. The car keys are locked in the van. So my dad had to break out one of the windows. This is an old Astro minivan that has the screened windows and the window was up. It just had the screen there. So he had to break out one of those screens, one of those windows. And me, a seven, eight, seven, eight year old kid, however old I was, was so scared to death that my dad's going to die. I didn't know any better. I had to climb through that window and get the van unlocked. We drove home. My dad dropped all of us off at home while he goes to urgent care. And I think I'm like crying my eyes out in bed thinking my dad's going to die. While he goes to urgent care, gets something like 13 stitches and has the hook removed. He never lets me forget about it. But that is like the biggest fish story I have to tell. And I don't have pictures of it. I thought about just putting a picture of my dad up there and putting like a fishing hook above him, above his head and me you know, photo, just having some fun with pictures. But I knew my dad would not want his picture on the screen, so I thought, thought I'd honor him in that way. But I have another idea for you. God could take away your big fish problems. God could take away your big fish problems. You see, big fish stories can be fun to say or fun to tell, but it can also lead into a big problem if you think about the problems in your life. 
What is causing, causing havoc in your life? Do you have a big problem, a big fish of a problem, especially when we think of the story of Jonah? Here, I had a problem. I had a big problem with my, hooking my dad in the lip, but Jonah has a much bigger problem and a much bigger fish story. So we're going to start today with reading from Jonah chapter 2. And if you could please, if you're able to, please stand as we read from Jonah 2. Words are up on the projector for you. We also have Bibles in front of you. And we read in Jonah chapter 2. Actually, let me start just to have a little bit of recap at the end of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish... Not just a big fish, a great fish. A great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your bellows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were trapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited up Jonah out upon the dry land. You may be seated. Thank you. So this is a big fish story. It's a great fish story. And it's a great fish that was so big, so large, so huge, that it could swallow up Jonah whole And not be killed, but continue to be lifted up three days later to continue to do God's work. But I think it's good to start with realizing that sometimes our big problems can also be good problems. Because they save us from continuing in a path that leads to our own destruction. Running from God's plan. Problems can knock some sense into us. It can wake us up. It can put us at the top of our game as we now realize we have a challenge. And we can either step up to the challenge, overcome the challenge, or we can, we can allow it to swallow us up. And we can allow it to put us out of our misery. We can allow us to focus too much of our, on our problems instead of our God. And then we're not able to do what God's plan is for us. Let me remind you of this from last week. The plan of man is to flee and sink. But the plan of God swims and saves. But this still seemed like a mighty problem to Jonah. I mean, you're stuck in a fish, a great fish. What are you going to do? Jonah had options here. As he's stuck in this fish, he had the option of focusing on his own problems or focusing on God. 
And with today's message, I have this one overwhelming idea for you. God could take away your big fish problems. This is the one major point I want you to focus on today. God could take away your big fish problems. But you need to focus on him. You need to allow him to. Now, I was going to do this. It's a little bit more awkward since we don't have this full of a room. But we're going to do it anyway. So God could take away your big fish problems. I want everybody just to repeat that after me. Just say it, okay? And some of you are going to hate me for doing this. I don't care. It, it helps you remember things when you say it out loud. So on the count of three. One, two, three. God could take away your big fish problems. God could take away your problems, but you need to give it to God. Say that. Give it to God. Give it to God. We need to give it to God. We can't continue to focus on our, it ourselves. We can't continue to try and get out of it ourselves. We need to focus on God in order to get away from our problems. Give it away. Give it to the one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present everywhere you go. As you learned last week, God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, which means God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing, and God is everywhere. And even in bed last night, as I'm thinking over my sermon, my message, I'm thinking through that. And I think the great thing about all of those, those three items, is they all work together. Because you're all-knowing, you are all-powerful. Because you're all-knowing, you are everywhere. Because you are everywhere, you are all-knowing. I mean, it all works together. God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, and God is everywhere. But how do we give it to God? Do we just say, God, save me? Well, yes, that's part of it. But we must have a repentant heart and submit to his plan. We must fully submit to his plan and with a grateful heart. So God sometimes leads things in a way you don't expect. So this week, one of my good friends from Ohio, my wife's brother Jason, actually posted this scripture and it just went along so perfectly with today where we're focusing in Jonah chapter 2. I thought I'd read it from Job. The book of Job chapter 33, which is way before Jonah. And yet it lines up so perfectly with where we're at in Jonah. Job 33. I'm reading it specifically from the translation he posted it in just because I liked how it said it. But this isn't normally the translation I'd use because it's the message, which is more like a commentary, how it reads. But it says it like this. Compare that to what we just read with, jo with Jonah. Job 33, 26 through 30. Or you may fall on your knees and pray to God's delight. You'll see God smile and celebrate, finding yourself set right with God. You'll sing God's praises to everyone you meet, testifying... I messed up my life, and let me tell you, it wasn't worth it, but God stepped in and saved me from certain death. I'm alive again! Exclamation mark. I'm alive again! Once more I see the light. This is the way God works. Over and over again, he pulls our souls back from certain destruction, so we see the light and live in the light. I love that. Because here in Jonah... We have Jonah running away from God, running away from his very purpose and being a minor prophet and being called to go, go preach the word and preach a message of repentance to Nineveh. And yet God still saves him. God still pursues him. God still cares so much about him that God 
even when, when Jonah's sinking to the bottom, God still swallows him up with a great fish and saves him, just like Job's talking about here. But as we start in Jonah, we read, again, just see the similarities. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, chapter 2, 1 to 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, pay attention to this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried out to you, and you heard my voice. This is great. I mean, there's so much great about this, but let me just point this out. Jonah, Jonah is in the belly of a great fish, and yet he does not focus on his own self-pity, his own problems, and he had a big problem. I mean, have any of you ever been stuck in a big fish? I haven't, but I'm guessing that's a big problem. It's a big, stinky, nasty problem. And yet he does not curse God. He's not yelling and screaming at God. No, he begins to cry out to God and to pray to God. What do we do when we have a big fish of a problem? A problem which has swallowed you up whole and you're stuck and you cannot find a way out. Do we immediately think to pray? Maybe you do, and if so, you are a great man and, and probably a lot greater than I because as a, as a sinful human being, a lot of times my first response is not to pray as it should be. My first response is to try and figure my way out. And a lot of times we don't go praying to God until we reach that point that we realize there's no way out without God. We need to run to God, and that's what we see here in Jonah. Is Jonah cries out to the Lord. We should cry out to God. You know, the interesting is, thing is, probably the very cause of why we're in that fish to begin with is that we're not crying out to God with our life. But still, we cry, we yell, we scream, we may punch or kick a wall, we may mistreat all the people around us, we post about all of our problems all over social media for everybody to know about, and we look for our own way out instead of just doing that one simple task first. Cry out to God, because God's pursuing you. God's, God's creating this giant fish. We don't know what type of fish it is. Maybe it wasn't even a fish that's in existence today. Maybe it wasn't even a real fish. Maybe it's a fish that God created specifically for this purpose to rescue Jonah and to kick some sense into him. But we don't cry to God. We let everybody know we have a problem, but we don't cry to God. This is what we should do first. We should be focusing on God. We should be praying to God. We should realize that you are where you are only because we're sinful people who constantly flee from God. We are Jonah. But God loves us and pursues us. He's waiting to appoint a fish to save you. But we need to stop. We need to stop and focus on God, pray to him, and praise him for saving you. Praise him for providing something to help you realize the error of your ways and to start figuring out where you need to be, where you need to go. And this is chapter 2 of Jonah. 
We Are Jonah. Chapter 2 of Jonah, Jonah now realizes where he is. He realizes what he needs to be doing, and he stops. Now, I realize this is the same points, the same idea that I came up with last week for chapter 1. I just thought how great would it be to see if I can continue this throughout the whole book of Jonah, because the whole book of Jonah is talking about Jonah running. Either he's running to God, away from God, or he's running to God. And we're doing the same thing. Now, last week, I somehow skipped over the O, so I had a few people that actually asked me, what was the O? You never told me. So just so you know, the O is observe. And when we stop, we need to stop running. We need to think about where we're at. We need to observe what we need to do and what we're doing. And we need to then observe the second part of that, what God's doing. And then we need to proceed in the path of God. We stop, we think, we observe, we proceed. And here in chapter, chapter 2, we see the attitude of Jonah's repentant heart as he realized the error of his ways. What God had done for him is God pursued him and loved him so much as to not allow him to keep running away from his plan. All the miracles that God did for him and to get Jonah back on the right path. You know, I also think through this. God could have appointed anybody to do this. God could have just let Jonah run away and just said, fine, you don't want to work for me? Go for it. We'll find somebody else. And we do that too. But no, God pursued Jonah. God had a plan for Jonah, and God didn't want to allow Jonah to run away because that's how much he cared for him. That's how much he cares for us. We need to stop. We need to think, where are we right now? What do you need to do to repent and start asking God for help? Then start to observe how God provides a way out. In this, as Jonah starts to repent and praise God for where he's at and where he needs to go, he starts observing what the change he's making in his heart and his attitude, and then he starts to observe what God does to give him way out, and then he proceeds on with God's plan. As we read on in verse 3 to 8, we read this, For he cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall, I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. As we read on, I get this sense that Jonah is just overwhelmed with God's omnipotence, God's power, his supreme power over all creation, and his supreme power over himself, over Jonah. Jonah is in awe. Jonah is overwhelmed, and as he's writing this for us, we see this, that for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your bellows passed over me. He's, he's overwhelmed by God's love and by his power that he's taught. He's giving us this great picture as we picture what he's writing. And he's not just thrown into a little pond. He's not just thrown into a little sea or, or a little stream, a little creek. But he's giving us this illustration 
of just the doom he was facing, the death he was facing, that he was sinking down to the depths. And the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your bellows passed over me. You know, there's another way to think about that too. It's not just the water, but it's the judgment. And it's our sins and how they take control over our life. As we read this, we all see the flood surrounded me. All your waves, your bellows passed over me. The judgment that I deserve passes over me. The waves are over top, toppling over me. But then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Again, that judgment, that sin, as well as the physical issue they has a sinking to the depths. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. He wants, to, he wants us to picture what's going on here. He really wants us to picture just how far away he's fallen from God's plan due to him fleeing from God's will. Have you ever been through a life or death situation that maybe afterwards you look back and you think how much worse things could have been and you end up valuing where you are and you think, Wow, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me this. I could have been that person in that wreck. I could have been that person that went to the bottle. I could have been that person that ran from you, but instead you chose to save me. And this is where Jonah's at. Jonah's reflecting upon where he's at and where he's been and what he needs to do. Jonah also realizes the judgment that he was going through due to his lack of faith to follow God. But God still saved him. Not having his mind focused on the things of God, but instead being selfish and caring about his own wants. <clears throat> Jonah cared more about his own plan for the Ninevites, punishment, than he cared about God's plan for them, repentance and salvation. Jonah now realizes he is in a state of exile or punishment in the fish, and he uses his time to think about what he's done. You stop running. And you think. Think about where you are. Think about what you've done. Think about what you need to do. Here's the ironic thing. He didn't want to give Nineveh this, this idea of repentance and of life and, and a future. He wanted them punished. Yet now, where he finds himself is at the exact place that Nineveh is. Nineveh dis deserves punishment. Deserves destruction. Well, Jonah, too, deserves destruction. He deserves the depths of the sea. He deserves death. But he too needs exactly what Nineveh needs. He needs God to forgive him. And he needs God's plan. He needs to think about God. And in verse 7 we read, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah was not just in a little problem. He was not just thrown overboard into a small pond, a stream. He was thrown overboard into the Mediterranean Sea. And if you could click that next picture there. There we go. Thank you. A reminder from last week. This is where he was thrown into, the Mediterranean Sea. He ran, metaphorically. He hopped on a boat and he sailed with the intent to go 2,500 miles away from God's plan. That's a big See, about size of the United States of America, roughly. And all he had to, had to do to begin with is go 550 miles up to Nineveh. 
Now he's falling to the depths of the sea, and he remembers God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple, and God saved him. In his last thoughts, he remembered God, and God rescued him. I love seeing this. I love seeing that in, even in our defiance away from God, even when we're running from God, God is still pursuing us. He's still waiting for us to cry out to him and surrender to him and to ask him for help. And then he helps. He saved Jonah, and he will save us too. But we must surrender. We must put up our white flag and surrender to God's plan. We must stop running. We must stop crying, lamenting. Stop focusing on our problems. Stop being a victim and be a student. Think. What have you learned about where you're at? Think. What can you do to get out? What we can do to get out of our problems is by focusing on God and surrendering, surrendering to Him. Ask Him for help. Surrendering to your own plan and seek God's plan. Verse 9. But I... But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Remember the sailors from chapter 1? After seeing all God had done to pursue Jonah, the mighty power God has over all creation, the tempest and the storm, and then seeing everything cease, they made vows to God. They submitted to his will and committed their lives to God. Jonah was unwilling to submit to God's plan, but the sailors did. Despite, God's, despite Jonah's lack of obedience, people still came to know the Lord. God was still glorified. Jonah is finally at this place himself. He's finally seeing that he needs to also surrender himself to God's plan. Allow the storm to cease. Allow God to save him. Just like God saved the sailors, the mariners. He needs to allow God to save him. To get him out of the fish. I also think this is funny. Well, first of all, because it's no small vow what he's trying to do. He's vowing to go back and follow the Lord's plan. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But what I also see is a few things. It shows me first that God does not need you. God was glorified even when Jonah was in disobedience. Even when Jonah was running away from God, God still brought these sailors to know him. God still was glorified. God doesn't need you. But here's the great thing. God wants you. God desires you. God loves you and wants you to be part of his plan. God doesn't need you, but God wants you. Jonah submits to God's will, God's plan. This is where we now, deserve, we now observe what God is going to do. Again, we stop. We stop, we think, we observe. Make sure I, I say that this time. We observe and we proceed. And we read in verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The Lord spoke, just as he spoke and created the world. The Lord spoke and controlled the fish. The power of God to speak <laughs> to a fish, to speak, and it just happens. Can you appoint a fish to be at a certain place at a certain time? 
And then not just any fish, but a fish large enough to swallow a man whole without killing him. Now, I will note one um, person, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, one pastor, Pastor J. Vernon McGee, actually believes due to that Matthew verse, that Matthew reference of Jesus saying, just as Jonah was in the fish for three days, I also be in the tomb three days. He believes that Jonah did die. But then after three days, Jonah surrendered to God. However this worked out, I can't picture it. I'm not God. But Dr. J. Vernon McGee believes that Jonah did die, but then God raised him back from the dead when Jonah was ready to do his will. Just another idea for you to know there. But the Lord, the Lord spoke. This is his power. I can't control a fish. I can't appoint a fish. I can't tell a fish to be here at this time. I didn't create the world and all the animals in it, but God did. And God has the power to all this. God can do it. God uses the fish to straighten Jonah's path and to refocus his attitude on God. God can use anything to not just straighten your ways, but to save you. God used a fish. God can also use you to save other people. But we need to stop. We need to stop running, stop complaining, stop being a victim, and we need to think, observe. What do we need to do to change our life? And then observe how God can use you, how God can work through you. Think about where you've been, where God has you now. Think about the solution. Think about what you must do now. Repent and surrender to God and praise Him. Repent. Again, one of those fancy words that churches use, and one of the things that a lot of unchurched people say, we need to clarify. What do you mean by repent? We need you to ask God to forgive us. Say, God, I know I try and do everything my own way, and I shouldn't, because your way is the right way. We need to cry out. I love it when translations use the, that phrase, cry out, because there's so much power that comes with that. Cry out. We're not just we're not just easily saying, oh, Lord, God, help me. We are crying out, Lord, God, help me. I cry out to you because I need you, because I can't do it on my own. We cry out to him, and we praise him, just as we see Jonah doing here. But as we move on to the P, and we proceed, I want you to also notice this. You may be saved, but that does not mean that life is going to be easy. There's still consequences for our actions. There's consequences to sin and to not following God's plan in the first place. If you look at the map behind you and you look to where Jonah was heading 2,500 miles in the wrong direction, Jonah started somewhere like here. He went down to Joppa to flee. And he went 2,500 miles. Now, he didn't make it there. Somewhere in the middle, God caused this storm to happen. Here's what I believe, and I'm not alone in this thought. A lot of people believe this. When God rescued him and had him in this time of judgment for his actions in this fish, I do think it's a time of judgment, a consequence for his sin, but he's also saving him, and he's waiting for God to surrender him to him. Not one moment too soon, by the way, does he arrive at the land. And it's, it's not until after Jonah makes this vow that I now surrender to you. I will do your will. I will vow to you, say it exactly, 
But I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. I think God put him right back here in Joppa. And here's the interesting thing about this. We're talking about God. The one who created everything. The one who created this giant fish to begin with. God could have just rescued him in midair as he was falling off the ship, being thrown overboard, and caught him in the talons of a great big eagle or some type of massive bird. And he could have flown him straight to Nineveh. But I don't think he did this. I think that God rescued him with a great fish. And again, this great fish could have landed him up here close to Nineveh. And maybe he did. I'm just thinking through this. But I think he put him somewhere closer to Joppa because we see that he still needs to continue on the initial plan that God had for him. God wants us to see us, God wants to see us walk the walk and not just talk the talk. God wants us to see us working for him and not against him. Like I said, there is consequences to our actions. God's initial plan was for him to go 550 miles up. And I think God still wanted to see his commitment to him. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pray. I will pay. He's now going to pay to do exactly what God initially told him to do. And he's going to run to Nineveh. He now realizes that he needs to surrender to God's plan because God's plan is what is best. It's what's right. We also see that he was spit up on dry ground. Fully forgiven, not thrown into mud or the sea. God could have thrown him off just right off the coast, said, well, you got to swim from here. But God had the great fish vomit him up, spit him up on dry ground. Jonah's possibly spit up on the shores of Joppa because this is where Jonah's disobedience started. There are consequences to her actions, and Jonah still needs to do what he was told to do. Jonah could have saved himself a lot of time by just starting here to begin with, right? But just like us, we are Jonah. Man flees, God saves. God wants to see us walk the walk and not just talk the talk. God wants to see Jonah and us complete the whole plan that God has for us, not just the little part of the plan. Not just part of it. God wants to see us run for him. Don't try to avoid his plan. Don't run from his plan. Don't try to find shortcuts or easier ways. Just follow him. Follow him. It's all God's asking of you is follow him. Follow God's plan. Who are we to think we can come up with a better plan than the plan of the one who created the world? Submit to God and make a vow today. As I was reading some books this week, I came across this quote to end with. Let me pull up this final slide here. Again, I might need to get a new remote. There we go. Feeling inadequate? Good. Now God can use you. (laughs) It kind of made me laugh. Feeling inadequate? Good. Now God can use you. We think it's a bad thing to feel inadequate. But that's when God can use us most because we realize that we need him. We need his strength. Allow God to use you in his plan. 
repent of your ways, ask forgiveness, cry out to him for running away, and make a vow to submit to him. Stop. Think about where you are and observe what God can do and then proceed into his plan. Let us pray as the worship team comes up to close. Lord God, we thank you for this day, and despite the snow, we're able to worship you wherever we are. And we thank you for allowing us to come here to worship together with the freedom we have. Lord, may we stop. Lord, I pray that we, we stop trying to look for our own ways out and realize that we all have big fish of problems in our life. We have big problems.